Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? And we're live. Welcome, everybody, here to the Lakers Lounge on this fine Friday. It is your favorite day of the week. I got to redo that in, in, intro, right? Welcome, everybody, to your favorite day of the week. I am Anthony Irwin here in the Lakers Lounge for this happy hour episode. We have a ton of questions. You guys really came through on Twitter. I would appreciate if you guys also came through in the uh iTunes reviews in the form of five-star reviews to get your questions in there. And I would answer those as well. Um, but this is going to be primarily Twitter questions. It's going to be some of the, the, the comments. Uh, obviously, if you're watching live, I'm going to answer questions that you have there in the comment section. So hit us there. And uh, I want to start, though, with a quick riff, right? Um, the name of this on YouTube, this, this video on YouTube which, by the way, please subscribe on YouTube as well. We've seen a nice little bump recently as, as the Lakers have gone on, gone on this little run in the uh, NBA's in-season tournament. But yeah, the name of this video here is the Lakers are officially championship contenders. I legitimately feel that way. Um, I thought heading into the season that they would be kind of on that second tier of championship contender where you had like the Nuggets, and depending on how things went for the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, right, depending on how things looked between Dame and Giannis, they were in that tier. I guess you could lump the Celtics in there. But then the, La the Lakers were like at the top, I thought, of that second tier of championship contender. And I think now that we've seen them kind of find their identity, and now that we've seen that identity now overwhelmed defensively, in order to be a, a tier one championship contender, you have to be elite at something. And I think when it's all said and done, the Lakers are going to be elite defensively so long as their wings stay healthy and everybody continues to buy into the roles that they have to this point in the season. And, and so long as Darvin... Um, you know, presses the right buttons as we go further into the season. And maybe some guys showcase that they should play either bigger roles in the rotation, smaller roles, maintain their roles, whatever. But as this rotation gets sussed out, so long as Darwin doesn't, you know, remain too stubborn to some guys, uh, I, I really think that this team is going to have an elite skill while also being like sufficient elsewhere, right? Uh, the one concern that you might have if the Lakers do really lean heavily into just mauling teams defensively is what that might do, what that personnel might do to the shooting. That's fair. 
right? That's something that you're always going to be a little nervous about. But in terms of what the Lakers, you know, what this kind of defense does for their offense, right? Where uh, in, in the 2019-2020 season, that team wasn't particularly good, especially in the half court, wasn't a very good. I think it's on record as one of the worst half court offense team, offensive teams that have ever won championships, at least recently. And um, this team, I think, has the personnel to maybe be a little better. But what helped that 1920 team and what I think this team is really going to rely on heavily as well is turning defense into offense, right? Uh, forcing teams into unorthodox shots that aren't within the rhythm of their offense. And because those shots don't come within the rhythm of the offense, they are put, you know, they're kind of scrambled around the court and thus can't get back in time, right? On top of the live ball turnovers that, that get created, on top of the long rebounds that get created, so long as the Lakers rebound well and take full advantage of what they're doing defensively, this team is going to spend, I think, quite a bit of efficient time out in transition. And the reason it'll be efficient is because the guy spearheading a lot of those fast breaks is going to be LeBron James, who, again, I would say is the greatest transition player that the league has ever seen. So, yeah, I think with, with that in mind, what the Lakers are capable of offensively, oof, man, this is this could be one of those, like this was the first morning I woke up, I was brushing my teeth, and I said it to Jen. It was one of the first things I said to her this morning, and I think that's why she gave me the face that she did. But I was like brushing my teeth and she and 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 you know, I I I finished up and I looked. So the way that our bathrooms face, my mirror is is over here, and then her mirror is like behind me over here. So I was looking at her through our two mirrors, and I kind of said to her, Man, I think they can win a championship. And she goes, what? And I go, oh, uh, yeah, the Lakers. They beat the shit out of New Orleans last night. <laughs> and and like now that I'm saying it out loud and going through this whole scenario again, I'm realizing I have a problem because I, I barely said good morning to anybody. I like woke up, you know, I always kind of, I always, well, I, I said good morning because my kids tackle me every morning and I have no choice. But I got up out of bed. And I was there brushing my teeth to get ready for the day. I, and and yeah, the first thing, <laughs> the first thing I said to Jen was, "I think they can win a championship," um, and I stand by it. I do. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't believe I did that. And now I'm realizing it, and I'm gonna have to call Jen after this and make sure that we're okay. We're probably okay. Um, today's show, by the way, is brought to you by the Sleeper app. Use that promo code LA Lounge, and you can get to up to a hundred dollars in a first deposit match. Again, LA Lounge is the promo code. You can see it right here if you're watching live. Uh, you can get up to 100 bucks with that first-time deposit. All those terms and conditions apply. And really quickly, I'm going to spend a little bit of time. Tonight is a fun night in the NBA. Got a lot of teams active. And here are some picks that I'm looking at tonight. Uh, Julius Randle can combine for over or under three uh, 30.5 points and rebounds or more or less than 30 and a half points and rebounds combined. 
playing against Boston. It's a long athletic front court. Uh, he now no longer has the incentive to like try to get to Vegas. <laughs> so I think I'm going to go under on that one. I'm going to go under or fewer than uh, 30.5 rebounds and uh, points and rebounds combined. Joel Embiid, um, in, in a game against the Atlanta Hawks, you can go fewer or more than uh, 44.5 points and rebounds combined. I'm going to go over there or more than there because he is having an insane season and I, you know, I, I really uh, like how he looks at home as well against a front court that doesn't necessarily match up that well with him. Uh, Jason Tatum in that game against uh, Julius Randle's New York Knicks, more or less than 27 and a half points. I'm going to go more. Uh, he has been quite good this year. And I like his chances at scoring against a smaller wing group that uh, the the Knicks offer up at home, uh, importantly, here as well. Tyrese Maxey, more or less than 25 and a half points. Uh, I'm going to go more. Um, I don't think Atlanta has the guards to, to slow him down. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, more or less than 30 and a half points. He's playing Golden State at home. I'm going to go more. And Luka Doncic with uh, a game against the Portland Trailblazers, more on everything. <laughs> uh, he has dad strength now, and he's going to go ahead and take care of business there. Again, that is the Sleeper app. You can follow me on there at Anthony Irwin LA. They have an incredible product. It is super fun. You can bet before, during, uh, whenever. Uh, for these games and 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 where you can you can um, make your picks uh, before, during, or whenever for these games. Uh, and again, use that promo code LA Lounge. You can get up to a hundred bucks in a first deposit match. And I will see you over there. All right, let's get to these questions, which uh, it is uh, a a a fun group of of questions that came in. It is a long group of questions that came in. So I'm just going to go in order of the way that the, the, the screenshots show up in my list here. So the first question comes from David Wagner at David Wagner 24, who writes NBA media is already downplaying the tournament because the Lakers are in it. If you listen to the locked on NBA pod, they just sounded like haters. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I, I didn't listen to it. I don't really listen to very many NBA podcasts at this point. Cause I want my takes to be my own. Um, but I will say though, that just in terms of like anecdotally speaking over the course of this tournament, every time it was a close game, like half of my timeline was, wow, this is incredible. Look at this thing. Adam Silver, you did it. You mad genius, you. And then, and then last night as the Lakers were just taking it to the New Orleans Pelicans over the course of that game and into today, there's a lot less excitement about this thing from from NBA media at large as they realized, ah, shit, <laughs> the Lakers are going to win another thing. I'm not saying they are going to. The Pacers are a really good team. And they're playing incredible basketball. It's going to be a really fun game on Saturday. Uh, <laughs> I just wish, I honestly just wish, like, it was, it's, it's already so brazen. I wish it was a little bit more honest. Just say, yeah. My opinion changed on this thing because the outcome isn't the one that I was hoping for. Just say it. 
I'm fine with it. I I don't hate it. Like like if the Celtics had won this thing, I would have said it's a stupid tournament and it made no sense at all. And it was, you know, a, a, a poorly thought out and rushed product. In a lot of ways, I still feel that way. But especially if the Celtics would have won it. And in this case, for the Lakers, they're on the on the verge of winning it. I'm a little bit more into it because apparently the Lakers are and they've played great basketball throughout it. So yeah, I've had a lot of fun watching these things. I have uh, had fun answering the litany of texts that I have gotten in, in people demanding that I like this thing the way that they do. Um, and and now those texts have really slowed down. I wonder, wonder what's going on there. Uh, all right, let's get to the next question here. Some Lakers or no Clippers fan uh, wants to know how amazing I find those in-season tournament courts. They still suck. Like that, <laughs> I've liked the way that the Lakers have played on them, but the the, the courts themselves are hideous. Um, I hope that they tone it down next year and move away from from the shuffleboard idea that they have uh, run with this season. I like the fact that they 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 want to differentiate these courts from other typical NBA courts. I like the idea of having the big trophy there, the cup in the middle of the court. Um, I've always thought that that was a great look for the NBA finals. It was a great classic look. And if you basically elevate this by making the court look a lot like the courts that you see in the finals, that's a good idea, right? They do. I think the same thing for the NBA playoffs where they have some big sticker essentially that they, that they lay down and, and it indicates to you that this is not just some typical game. And I thought they went overkill on, on these courts. This is the one that you saw last night that it was just, I didn't look. Um, but yeah, I don't like the courts. I understand what they were going for with them. I hope that they tone that down next year. Next question comes from NBA ACE 21, the Reeves slash Delo slash Prince lineups, dot, dot, dot. It feels like the one guard slash power forward combination you should not play. And last night, the goal seemed to be to go for it closing. Um, AR subbed in with like five minutes left and in, in, in the second and the lead was down to two instantly before LeBron checked back in. Yeah, I was watching that too. Uh, we were on all access Lakers, all of us together. And the first thing I said when, when, you know, I think LeBron subbed out or AD subbed out or whatever it was, um, was like, man, we're, we're still doing the whole Prince Reeves D'Lo thing. Like, it was a disaster to start the season. It has not been good to this point in the season. Even though Prince is starting to shoot the ball a little bit better, it still hasn't looked good. I'm going to pull up that graphic one more time. And I guess it's improved slightly. It is now down to only a minus 4.5 rating. But when you consider that a lot of those minutes are coming and have come with LeBron and with AD out there on the court with them, uh, them being negative is not great. And like, you, it just makes sense, right? You have Austin Reeves, who is not like a real physical presence out there on the perimeter. Neither is D'Angelo Russell. Uh, that squad forces Torian Prince to have to guard the other team's best perimeter player. And, and you know, remember the matchup da uh, data that uh, Cran just brought up in, in our show earlier this week, right? Where he was like top 10 in terms of typical assignment. And, and that assignment difficulty 
this season. I think it might may have dropped a little bit since some of the other wings have come back, but like you still see it. He was still guarding uh, Kevin Durant late in that game the other night. And, you know, he spent some time against Brandon Ingram last night because of that lineup combination. And I just don't think that is really fair to him. I think the best usage of, of somebody like Torian Prince is essentially play him at the two, have him out there with another elite wing who can take the other team's best player. You basically turn Prince who like is pretty good at some of like the weak side defense stuff, right? Um, he's pretty good positionally. He does box out fairly well, I think. And, and, you know, it lessens the impact that he has defensively while also allowing him to offer the spacing that he does, especially now as he's shooting the ball a little bit better. Um, and, and yeah, like it, it probably is going to lead to, to a diminishing of his role in the rotation. I think eventually uh, you'll see either Max or Vando step up and the Lakers will just go with a big bruising group to start these games. Um, and, and I, I, I would be fine with that. And then eventually, you know, if Prince starts coming in, then he allows some spacing for those, those uh, second units that I think have kind of lacked that um, to this point in the season. So I, I, but yeah, to answer the actual question, as far as it, it, it pertains to those three in particular, it just hasn't worked and it makes sense that it hasn't worked. And at some point, um, even though it is going like those three, at least LeBron or uh, Austin and Delo's minutes are going to overlap, right? Because they have to. And if they are going to overlap, trying to avoid those minutes overlapping also with Torian Prince means that Prince is probably going to be playing a, a, a couple fewer minutes a game. I think that'd be fine. I would be fine with it. The Lakers have enough wing depth to where you don't have to force Prince in that kind of a group. Um, next question here. Speaking of Cranges, uh, he's asking, what's your go-to at Bucky's? So uh, Bucky's, for those of you who are watching or listening from basically not Texas, I, I think it's like a it's like a south to southern gas station food kind of a thing. They have incredible food, like great brisket, like their sandwiches are insane. Um, and I could pick from one of any number of sandwiches there, but for me, like I go in there and I could I I have, especially back when we didn't live here, and I knew that I had like a very limited amount of time to get as much of this stuff as I can possibly but they have the best beef jerky anywhere. And I would walk in there and I would buy like 50 bucks worth of, of beef jerky and it would be gone by the end of the trip. We would take like, you know, half week trips out here, four or five day uh, trips out here uh, to, to see my brother and sister-in-law back when we lived still in California. Unfortunately, there isn't a Bucky's really close to me and I really miss it. Um, but uh, when I drive to Dallas, I make sure to hit the, the Bucky's on the way there and and on the way back as well. And every time I do, I'll get like I'll rotate my sandwiches. But but for me, the absolute best thing that Bucky's has to offer is beef jerky. So if you're ever in the South and you see Bucky's spelled the way that Cran just did, where it's B-U-C uh, dash E-E apostrophe S. Stop in there. Gas up there. Stop in there. Go load up on beef jerky in every flavor that they have is great. So find your favorite flavor, get some of all their flavors. They also, I think, allow you to have samples as well. So go 
you know, take advantage of the Southern hospitality, get a bunch of samples, buy a bunch of that beef jerky, and and then thank me later. Uh, this has been a live read, a free live read for buckies. Um, all right. Cody Shell writes, would love to hear your uh, about your changes slash flexibility in content creation since all the changes occurred earlier this year. I've listened since the early days with the Locked On platform and would love to hear what more you know now versus then with uh, content creation slash evaluation. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus um, I'm not going to get too far into the weeds here um, because this isn't something that people particularly care about. I don't think outside of like my very small circle of other like industry people. And I'm, I'm maybe there's a couple like other podcasters who are watching or listening right now. And maybe they have thoughts on this as well, but essentially you have to think of like podcasting and video broadcasting on YouTube or, or Twitter or whatever playback. Think of all of those companies as essentially like tech companies. And um, essentially, because now a lot of them are owned by tech companies. But um, it's the reason I say that is because of the impact that you have seen on this industry by the raising interest rates. And a lot of these layoffs that have occurred across the industry, right? I think Vox, in my time there, um, until I eventually got laid off, I think there were three cycles of layoffs in eight in like the 18 months that I was there. And then they've had another one since uh, we've seen layoffs, you know, ESPN, a place that you would think would be not be touchable by these kinds of circumstances. They've laid people off. Um, it is just, it is something that has really plagued the industry. And essentially all of these companies have really like tightened up and gotten back to like the nuts and bolts. Whereas, 18 months, two years ago, you saw a lot of the, those companies uh, willing to experiment and try to broaden their offerings with podcasting, with live audio, with live audio video, all of that stuff. And a lot of those budgets have gone away because, um, because it's a brand, it's, it's a newer part of the industry. So right now there's a lot more focus on clicks. There's a lot more focus on the written word, at least for, you know, until hopefully in the, in 2024, when we start to see those interest rates drop back down again. And then I think you'll start to see a couple more. I've already seen some companies do some hiring um, and, and, you know, maybe and now a lot of the hiring has a lot to do with the written stuff, which again, I think is, is, is getting back to being like the main focus in all of this. But then the other thing that you've seen is, um, it used to the, the 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 idea used to be 
have something for everybody and try to have the best possible of that thing that your budget would allow. Now, essentially what you're seeing is have a whole bunch of NFL <laughs> coverage and see if your NFL people can talk intelligently or write intelligently about other sports. And I, frankly, even while there are people who are doing that stuff, who I really respect and I think do it really well, um, I think that has led to less intelligent conversations being driven by those companies and the content that they're creating. So if you were to ask me what comes next, I think you're going to see a lot of people like me who have basically struck out on our own um, with some support, right? Blue Wire has treated me very, very well, and I appreciate them for that. But like all of the efforts that I'm putting into YouTube, it's because ownership of my stuff and and ownership of 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 like the the, the and and like complete freedom to create content in the way that I, I I choose to, those are really valuable things. I've been doing this long enough to where I trust my instincts and and um for the most part have always worked really well with companies that have just kind of let me do my thing, still maintain a team type of approach, right? When I loved, I loved my time at Vox. I had a great audio team that worked in, in the NBA stuff and with NFL stuff, Michael kissed Justin Bopp, like those guys were incredible for me um, in terms of how, you know, allowing me to spread my wings in this industry while also teaching me about it. And and now I've, I think, reached the point where, where yeah, I want ownership over this stuff. And a lot of these companies, like Dan Levitard, right, is, is, is like the best example of somebody who got out while they, while they had the freedom to do so, right? Free dumb, as he puts it all the time. Um, and, and essentially in striking out and owning his RSS feed, I think he paid like millions of bucks for it when he left. And he converted that and he's leveraging that into like this multimedia monolith eventually is the hope, right, for them. And and I think you're going to see a few more examples of that, right? You're seeing Stephen A. Smith do a lot more uh, do a lot more advertising for his content, his own content, than he puts effort into first take stuff. Uh, Pat McAfee, right? Um, he does a whole bunch with ESPN, but a lot of it is with a, with with an eye towards yeah, I still own this thing over here. The Pat McAfee show cannot exist without Pat McAfee. And therefore I'm going to continue to own this. So I think what you're going to start to see until those purse strings loosen up a little bit uh, is, is a lot of your creators, your favorite creators trying to do this basically all on their own. And that, that sometimes requires some help, right? From, from the audience and some audiences, you guys have been, phenomenal with with what you've done in supporting my Substack and supporting all of the stuff and going where I ask you guys to go and asking questions when I ask you guys to ask them and I will never ever 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 take any of that for granted and and that is why metal art can exist the way that it can Stephen A Smith's uh own brand can grow the way that it has Pat McAfee's will as well um yeah, like that's that's I think where things are heading, where you're going to see a lot more individual ownership of this stuff with a lot of those companies having missed giant opportunities by not paying and treating those creators in the way that they should have. All right. Uh, next question here comes from Alvin Alvarez, Dr. Macademic. 
What's the best sandwich spot in Southern California that you know of and why? Ask Aaron too if you got the chance. All right, so I, I'm sure that there are people listening who want an LA specific place, but for me, I spent some time. I lived in La Habra Heights, uh, and what was that? <laughs> Six or seven years ago, forever ago. Um, still, when I was like, I it, shoot, I, I I was running Dodgers Nation at the time when I lived there. So that was that's how long ago that was. I was still doing Dodgers stuff, um, but. While I lived there in La Habra Heights, we rented this tiny little house at the top of the hill. And at the bottom of that hill was this tiny little Italian meat shop called Claro's or Clara's. And like they shaved all of their meat there. It was all like, I'm telling you, there was a little Italian lady who knew you by name when you were walking in, asked how you were doing, asked how the family was. It's exactly the kind of Italian sandwich shop that that like you hope to bump into and that place, I, I legitimately miss it every day. Like the closest, you know, you, there's a couple sandwich shops out here, but nothing that comes close to that. So if you're ever in like the La Habra area, go check out Claire Rose, I think is what it's called. And they have all kinds of their, their, um, their desserts are insane there as well. They have a, a really cool selection of Italian wines. If you want to go and try some Italian wine, uh, that's, that's, that's my favorite spot. Um, let's go to the next one. Fern at Boo 5815. Have you heard anything concerning about the next TV broadcast deal? I thought the Lakers offering their Spectrum games independent of a cable package is very interesting. It is. And it, again, kind of goes back to a move away from, I think, traditional media, right? I think what the Lake, what, what the league is trying to do with this in-season tournament is basically sell it specifically to a streamer. You see the games now streamed in better form on max right um league pass as we know it has been kind of a failure it has done its job but it hasn't it's never operated at a particularly high level and and i think that has a lot to do with like in order for that to work you have to basically build an umbrella hope that all of those rsns are willing to cooperate within that umbrella hope that those rsn those regional sports uh network deals um hope that they continue to exist and continue to be profitable um, as we haven't seen, by the way, we've seen some of like Bally sports, I believe went bankrupt and just haven't made payments to some of these teams there. And that has complicated things. So uh, there are some red flags. I do think like Mark Cuban getting out, you know, selling the majority stake in the Mavericks is really notable. Michael Jordan doing so uh, as well. Um, I think Mark Lazary also sold head, uh, heading into the season. Herb Simon, owner of the, the um, Indiana Pacers, has sold 20% of them as well. Um, these business people are geniuses. Like, well, I'm some business geniuses, at least. At least the ones who, like, built their empires themselves, right? James Dolan comes to mind as, like, a buffoon, a Neanderthal, who, like, doesn't know what the hell he's doing, clearly, and 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 uh, has really benefited from from who his dad was. But for the most part, even as the league wants to showcase strength and confidence and all of those things, I do think whether it's this one, and even Mark Cuban said this specifically, he thinks that this next TV deal, they're probably going to be fine in negotiating it. And they'll probably mostly like the results of that deal and what that looks like. But, uh, I think moving forward, there is some legitimate concern league-wide. You even saw Adam Silver go on McAfee's show the other day and essentially make the case for sports washing. 
which is basically welcoming Saudi money in because, you know, for this thing to continue, they have to keep finding these new revenue sources. And that is a an untapped revenue source that the league is just, you know, kind of biding their time and waiting for that to be, I think, a little bit more politically correct to do. So um, their ne- this next TV deal, I haven't heard anything specifically that anybody is particularly worried. But actions also speak quite loud, right? And when you have all of these owners moving out in the way that they have over the last, you know, whatever it is, uh, year or so in the run-up to this new TV deal, as we all thought that they were about to cash out again, you know, it might indicate that this next one might not go as well as, as they thought it was going to go as well. Um, all right. Let's go to the next question, I think. Nope, next one. Uh, Clayton DeMarkey writes, coming from a soccer culture, sometimes it is a bit frustrating how the crowd in the NBA is too passive, like in a theater. Do you think something can be done to create a real atmosphere, like in European basketball, for example? A hug from Brazil, your fan for years. That is always so trippy to hear people say, you know, I've been listening to you from Brazil for years. That is wild. But um, all right. So I agree. I have just, I just finished this season of Wrexham, I believe last night. No, the night before last night, I was up late doing work, but um, the night before I finished Wrexham and you like, you watch that crowd and they spend the whole game chanting. They're on their feet the whole game. I remember going to a Rams Saints game a few years back when uh, SoFi hadn't been built yet, so I haven't been to SoFi, but they were playing at the Coliseum. Genesis Saints fan, my dad's a Ram fan, and I was neutral, right? I was Switzerland. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the game, and at one point, the group in front of us stood up, and we just, like, stood up so that we could still see. Jen is, like, 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five. so she's, like, she wasn't able to see past the the the, the group of people who were in front of us, so we stood up, and we had some crotchety old white lady throwing popcorn at us. Sit down, sit down. And I'm like, I would, except look at the giant people in front of us who are standing up. So I, I and I wasn't rude. I basically said, like, we can't. There are people in front of us standing up. And I don't want to, I don't want to be rude to them either. So I'm just going to stand up. You're welcome to do the same. And, and the fact that at a sporting event, you have all of these people essentially like telling everybody, have less fun, have less fun. <laughs> it just seems really stupid to me <laughs> personally. So I would, uh, I, you know, I would say like, I don't know if there is a way to actually get it done or to legislate it or whatever. I have noticed that say in uh, baseball with the world baseball classic, you saw a, a much more festive atmosphere at those games. And I have friends who went to those games and they all walked away from it saying like, if baseball was like that, I'd have been going to a way, like way more baseball games. And um, there's a lot of Latin influence in that. There's a lot of Asian influence in that you watch Asian baseball games, whether it's Japanese, Korean, whatever. And there's bat flipping on all kinds of plays. There's, you know, chants that go throughout the game. You watch a baseball game. Now you go to a baseball game now and like between pitches, it's like a library. It's like so boring. 
Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, uh, and, and like that's baseball and, and some of that is like the sport and it, it's always been this very buttoned up sport. You had used to have entire families going in like suits and dresses to baseball games. Right. Um, but with, um, with basketball, it does lend itself to, and I think, you know, some of this like has to do with, um, like the arenas, they play a lot of music during the game. And I think that's like in part to keep people like kind of, you know, animated or whatever. But I do wish that a a team would try to say like, we're all going to sing this together, right? This is going to be our song. I noticed in the NFL games that are played in Europe um, at like some point in the third period or the fourth period or something like that, they sing, take me home country road, right? And uh, something like that, you know, the, the Red Sox, I hate Boston, right? But with Bo- it, with with the Red Sox, right, they sing uh, Sweet Caroline. It makes me hate the song because I hate everything Boston. But I think that's like something like that that becomes um, woven into the fabric of fandom and the, the, the culture of that team and of that city. Um, I, I think, you know, the league could find more ways or these leagues could find more ways to cultivate that kind of passion and make these games a little bit more fun. You know, I, in, if anything, I think some of these teams have gone too far in the other direction where like they boost the Wi-Fi, they make sure that everybody has use of their phones. And yeah, like that is important and, and stuff like that. I'm not saying that you want no cell service in there or whatever, but as soon as you spend all kind and you focus too heavily on making sure everybody can utilize their phones, where does that take their attention? You start looking down, right? Start they start looking like this. And what do you like? You know what you're not gonna do when you start looking down, or what it's gonna sound like when everybody's looking down, and even if that chant breaks out, right? What it's gonna sound like? It's gonna sound muffled because everybody's gonna be down here, right? So yeah, those are those are things that I, I do wish, and 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 it makes a great point of bringing up European basketball because we see what it looks like there. It looks those games are wild. I had uh, Lee Ellis on uh, the Substack pod, the Anthony Irwin show. Um, and he was talking about how like he always laughs anytime there's concern about a European player and how they'll fare in the NBA with those pressures. And he's like, have you seen some of these games that these guys play in before they come over here? They're insane. <laughs> They're nuts. Uh, those fans are insane. And, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, it would be it would be really cool, and I think really beneficial to the league to uh, to cultivate more of that here in in American games. A few more. Uh, I'm going to take a look in the comments here as well. Claros is also in Austin. I don't think Claros is a franchise because, um, yeah, like the the Claros that is back home was like very clearly a family owned shop. But there, look. Austin is like a food hub. So even if it isn't like a franchise, I'll go check out Claro's because that the, the, those foods, uh, LakerCon is saying Claro's is also in Austin. Might be. I, I don't think it's a franchise, but I'm going to go check it out regardless. Uh, <laughs> Soko please writes, uh, will Raj ever understand a reference you make? Can't believe he didn't know what a shuffleboard is. Hey, be nice. I also had to explain nature to him. <laughs> Um, I'm going to come back to the, uh, Oh, Tustin, Tustin. Okay. Tustin. That might make more sense. That might make more sense. Uh, I'm going to go back to the, um, 
to the Twitter questions here. Next one comes from Call Me Kinslow. If you order 10 nuggets from McDonald's, what sauce are you getting? And how many sauce packets do you need to get a proper sauce to nugget ratio on every bite? Mm. I'm boring. I like their barbecue sauce. And I'll usually do like if you're doing a, a 10 piece, I haven't, I don't eat very many chicken nuggets at this point anymore, but like a 10 piece usually requires two sauces. May I'll probably get a third just to be safe. Cause like that, that McNugget, any inch or any like millimeter of that chicken McNugget that isn't covered in sauce is terrible. <laughs> it's barely chicken. Uh, the, 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 the breading on it doesn't have very much flavor. So it's like, you got to provide all of that flavor yourself. So basically you have to like almost get your fingers wet when you dip those, uh, <laughs> those, uh, nuggets into that, into that sauce, whatever sauce it is. I prefer uh barbecue. I like their French fries in their barbecue sauce as well. Um, my brothers like the barbecue sauce or the, the Buffalo sauce that they have, but I'm, I'm, I'm old. Um, and, and barbecue is fine for me. Ladunkta uh, Laker writes, what the hell do we do with Gabe Vincent when he's healthy? I think the smarter operating word there should probably be if. Um, remember back when the Lakers said like, hey, in a couple of weeks, we're going to reevaluate him again. And maybe like maybe at the beginning of this next week, we will see that happen and we'll get more information on him. But this is essentially how it played out last year with Kendrick Nunn, where they said, well, he's day-to-day, and then he's week-to-week, and then, well, we'll reevaluate him in a couple weeks. And then in the meantime, they're hoping that you forget that they said that they were going to reevaluate him. I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I sincerely do. But again, like I have said on a few shows, one of them being this one, I told Jen, hey, what's a a bone effusion it's what it's what gabe vincent is dealing with right now and she was sitting next to me on the couch and she goes whoa who has that oh you know and like anytime a doctor looks at a patient or hears about a patient and goes oh <laughs> that is not that is not a noise that you want to hear um it reminded me honestly of like the the seinfeld thing where somebody was being uh operated on and it was such a weird malady that like one doctor said like, Hey Bob, you got to come in here and see this. And that other person's like, Hey Mark, you got to come see this. And like, Hey John, you got to, and then like, they kept bringing doctor after doctor after doctor in, into the scene because whatever, whoever was dealing with whatever was just that tricky. And in this case, that appears to be the case with Gabe Vincent, where again, essentially, and I'm not a doctor, but I will relay what Jen has told me. Essentially a bone effusion spelled E-F-F-U-S-I-O-N, I think, maybe A. Mm. But um, what is happening there is essentially through some kind of contact, whether it was a one-time thing or repeated contact, the bone itself swelled up, right? And, and obviously, you think about a bone swelling. They aren't supposed to swell. That is not something that, that, that typically happens with, with, with bones. And so what you basically have to do is you have to work a, a ton to try to get that swelling down safely. And then on top of that, once the swelling goes down, because it's an impact thing, 
you're also going to deal with the contusion, right? The, the bone bruise that is left behind the swelling. And then that can take quite a bit of time, as we saw with Kendrick Nunn last year, whose contusion kept him out of essentially the entirety of the season for uh, while he was a Laker. And then now has him out of the league. So, um, you know, a lot of the, the you know, contusion recovery um, that is based on where the contusion is, is located, the blood flow, blood flow that gets to that area. Um, and, and sometimes surgery is needed to just clear it out and, and, and get some blood into that area. Um, I haven't heard anything about, about Gabe needing, uh, needing surgery, just like last year, we never really heard anything about, uh, Kendrick Nunn needing surgery, but yeah, I, I haven't liked, uh, the new cycle and the information coming from the new cycle as it pertains to Gabe Vincent. Now to actually answer the question, he's insurance. I would say if D'Lo doesn't have it one night, you can stick him in there and get more like solid traditional point guard play from him. Um, same goes for Austin. I think if he was healthy, he would be a welcome addition here. But the problem is now with the amount of wing play that the Lakers are relying on, I don't necessarily see his fit with this identity and this kind of rotation as it currently exists. Maybe eventually the Lakers consolidate some of their wings down and send Russell out and when Russell departs, you have more of an opportunity for Gabe, but I think it's probably a little more likely here that this is a season that he misses a lot of time in. I hope I'm wrong. I, I sincerely hope I'm wrong. And then we wake up Monday and we get an update on him and they say he's day to day. He's going to start working to come back, but they haven't even said that they had like, they haven't even said that he is like starting to work to get back to playing basketball again. And that, you know, we're, we're a couple weeks away from Christmas. Um, let's go. Uh, let's go over here. Jeff fast from the YouTube comments writes, can the Lakers make a deep run? If 80 doesn't fix his jump shot. I, that's a great question. That really is. I think they can, but I, all right. So here's, I know a lot of people when they when they see the way that AD is playing offensively now think about like god please tell me he's not becoming Rudy Gobert and I don't think that is going to be the case right offensively because Rudy didn't even have the interior interior touch to take advantage of mismatches AD very much does like AD can still get his shot 2 3 4 5 feet away from the basket um I would like and it would it would bring a lot more versatility to the offense and to his game and make it harder to take him out of games if he knocked down the mid-range shot better than he has this season. But I, I you know, I, there's nothing to do that would indicate this season that that is going to be the case. So, uh, to an to answer the question, I think they still can because the defense is just going to be that good, and there are there is enough offensive firepower around him to still make that work. And also, he is still so great offensively you know in the paint that you're still going to be relatively okay with his production but please ad remember how to shoot please <laughs> i'm begging i have a family to feed let's go to all right 
Lakers uh, analysis with an underscore in there. Should the Lakers trade some of their spare wing depth for a big body center to add some versatility to potential lineups? On my mind would be a, Yon- a Jonas Valanciunas, a Brooke Lopez, Jakob Pertl, Nikola Vucevic. I don't see it personally. I think, again, you go back to the identity that this team has built. And maybe like if it's the right center at the right price, you can basically more effectively replicate that identity when, when AD sits where you still have a bunch of wings surrounded or surrounding a, a interior rim protector type presence um, that, that like really swallows up the paint and essentially like for 48 minutes, you have those, you know, one of those type of players out there on the court. Problem there is though, that like, I don't know how, like maybe Brooke Lopez fits okay with AD, but I don't see Milwaukee moving him unless their season goes to shit. I don't think Vucevic is a 16 win player. I don't like, there's just the, the type of players that you're talking about. It would take quite a bit to go out and get them. And I think it's more likely that the Lakers, um, you know, maybe there's a throw in like on. So somebody on, on my Twitter timeline asked me if like, Gabe Vincent and Christian Wood could be turned into Andre Drummond and Alex Caruso. And if Drummond understands that he is just going to be getting minutes when AD is not out there and he's okay with that role. All right. I'm, I'm interested, but if he wants anything beyond that and we go through another thing, like they went through a couple years ago where there was a promised starting gig or a promised any kind of gig, I'm good. I, that is not something that I need, but like, I, I understand basically the crux of the question is like, we have seen now to this point that a lot of these scouting reports are are basically with AD, like go drive through his chest and see if you can kind of whittle him down over the course of the game. Some guys have been able to, right? Uh, we've seen Yusuf Nurkic have, I believe a good game against them. We've seen, Obviously, Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid played well against AD and having a little bit more muscle to deal with that. I, I understand that that desire. And I do think eventually that is something that they're going to entertain because I don't think Christian Wood has lived up to the expectations that they had going in there. And Jackson Hayes is a little too thin to be that kind of presence whenever they need it. Let's go back to the comments and just keep rotating here. So, um, uh, okay t writes hey anthony hope you're well you ever fire up that destiny 2 anymore i thought about it the other day but um right now i'm replaying ghost of uh tsushima tsushima and it is incredible they they, they like reinvigorated it for uh ps5 they have the director's cut it's really really fun um and like i feel like with destiny like once you stop for long enough, if you go in and try to do it again because it's so much PvP, like <laughs> uh, you're gonna be left in the dust. So like none of my equipment is up to date in that game. I personally am not up to up to date in that game. I'm not great PvP anyway, and uh, so I, I, I you know I, I feel like I'd be left behind there uh, if I if I try that again. Um, let's go here. So. Gorilla writes, why is Rudy Gobert already crowned as Depoy over AD this season? Heard them talking about it on the Windhorse podcast. Uh, I mean, he's been special. That that Minnesota 
defense has been elite this year. He's the reason it's elite. And that's usually basically what it takes to get a, a, a defensive player of the year nod. But I do think, though, like, I don't think he's been crowned. It's it's December 8th as I'm recording this right now. I do think that if the Lakers are as good as they are going to be defensively, that AD is going to figure more into those conversations and more into that awards picture. And um, now there is this weird thing where they're like AD just doesn't really have very much respect around the league and, and with writers about the sport kind of sucks that that is the case, but that is something that I've really noticed. Uh, and, and uh, you know, so long as that continues, we'll all acknowledge that he belongs there. And I think he'll be a part of that conversation. I just don't necessarily see him winning it because for whatever reason, writers still hold his departure from new Orleans against him. Um, yeah, I, I guess in the, in the, uh, actually I have a question about this in the, in the iTunes or in the, um, Twitter mailbag as well. Uh, apparently, uh, Passen retweeted something about Yanni uh, Otani hasn't made his uh, decision. I am not. Yeah, so we're still we're still going this. Uh, ben Nicholson's uh, says source tells me, and she Davidi that there is uh, no decision at present made by Shohei Otani, nor is there a timeline for a decision. So we're doing the Kawhi thing. Literally, I think today I saw people charting his his uh, a private jet that might be his. So, um, yeah, we're doing that. I it's nice this being basketball season. I can just kind of dip in, jump, jump out. Um, but somebody did ask uh, in the in the YouTube things. Yeah, here we go. Um, th thoughts on the Dodgers if they land Shohei? I mean, they kind of have to, right? They have already said that they're going to move Mookie uh, to second base, essentially full time, and you know, that leaves a bit of a hole in the outfield. They, the way that they went about last off season was basically so that they could be financially viable enough to go out and get Otani. So if they don't get him, then that's kind of two off seasons wasted. They already didn't trade for Juan Soto. Right. And that, you know, is, is another missed opportunity as they wait for Otani. So um, yeah, if they don't get him, there's some serious, questions that need answering and i know people kind of mocked the idea that that um dave roberts could have possibly like ruined the dodgers chances at getting otani but look man like with these things uh essentially so i think it was who was it van halen or what a acdc or something like that where somebody from the band basically said like all we want are red m&ms right from your from this hotel and if they walked in and they saw a full assortment of m&ms they would say sorry we're taking your business elsewhere and the point of it wasn't just to do um wasn't just to be like assholes about it and be divas about it because they love red m&m so much but the point of it was like so that you kick off that relationship that business relationship because you you would imagine that band is going to go back to that hotel the next tour that they go on, but you kick off that, and in this case with Otani, um, he kicks off this working relationship with whatever team he signs with, or whoever doesn't leak in the way that he didn't want them to leak. Um, you he knows that going in, like all right, they're going to listen, they're going to follow instructions, and and we can have a working relationship as such. 
I know that people are, I'm, I'm annoyed by it. Like the whole process has taken too long and all that stuff. But like, I, I'm not so willing to just kind of cast aside any, any notion that like Dave Roberts may have screwed it up because like Andrew Friedman was asked about it. And even he was like, yeah, we're going to talk to him about it. And they were like, well, what do you think about leaking? He's like, we can't comment on that. So clearly like it matters to some people. And um, hopefully that didn't ruin the Dodgers chances. And hopefully he winds up being a Dodger, but they, they like hot that front office really needs that win. Right. They, We've we've seen far too often here with this Dodgers team and this Dodgers organization getting right up to the moment and then shitting the bed. This can't be another example of that. Um, all right, let's go. Yeah, so it was it was Van Halen. Thank you, JD. Um, all right, I am about to lose my voice, so I'm going to answer a couple more questions here. What do you look for? This is from James Marr. What do you look for in terms of a player that's actually contributing to winning on their teams? Like the difference between, I don't know. I don't know what the difference between is, but what do I look for? Well, it's like player archetype by position. And it kind of depends on who's leading, like who the top tier talent on, on the team is going to be. So if you have LeBron on your team, for example, you don't need to focus as much on creativity. You need Solid defenders, versatile defenders, shooters who can also defend, and then like secondary creation that can also fit with LeBron when the both of them are on the court. Um, and then that that like secondary creation ideally is also able to, for stretches of the game, step into primary creation or can combine with other secondary creation to to make it work offensively, right? Um, and so like for for you know if you look at the the nuggets right and essentially they have figured this out where with jokic you don't need a ton of creation you can have some right jamal murray and jokic in that pick and roll is damn near impossible to stop um but what you really need are versatile defenders around jokic to minimize some of his shortcomings on that side of the court right so it's not necessarily like what i look for there is some character stuff, I would say, um, a willingness to accept having a, you know, the, having to sacrifice while you play next to an elite creator, wherever that creator might be, whoever that engine might be. But yeah, it, it's, it's always very team to team based. And, um, and then, you know, it, it's also a very cultural thing, you know, uh, in terms of the organization, where you really need, you know, buy-in from top down as far as, you know, being in, in, in uh, you know, being in rhythm with understanding what a team needs, right? I made the point last night that the Lakers won a championship and then wandered away from the reason that they won that championship. And then now, after wandering through the desert for long enough, have arrived back at what won them that championship, right? And sometimes it takes learning, Right. Uh, but but in this in in this case, you watch this team play, and um, and and you watch the organization kind of interact with each other, and and you hear the things that I hear about the way that everybody is interacting together, and and you see why like this is a more productive organization than it was even a couple of years ago. Um, some of that has to do like Pat Riley always says this um, in in how he runs the Heat is. He would rather have Eric Spolstra 
kick down his doors, cuss him out for trading a player or thinking about trading a player that he really, really wants. He wants that combative energy because it's real. And if that is, if that is instilled, instilled across the organization and everybody understands that that is the way that things are going to work, then fine, you're good, right? You can, you can now exist that way. If not, then that's where you start to see some of the hiccups where everybody isn't necessarily on the same page. So yeah, I would say, um, you know, an example, right. That I just used is Dave Roberts with Shohei, where for some reason he thought it was okay to speak potentially out of turn and, and he screwed up the situation potentially. And, and, and as a result, you see Andrew Friedman go out and say like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to have a talk about that. And that is a talk that probably should have happened way before Dave Roberts was potentially going to screw up that situation. So man, I never thought I'd see the day where I would say like the Lakers are more unified than, than the Dodgers are. But like you see it where, and the reason I brought up Pat Riley, you see it with the Lakers where for a long time, there was essentially like a turf war between team clutch and team Palinka, especially after magic left, right? There was this big power vacuum left behind when, when magic left and everybody started vying and trying to position themselves for that spot. And initially LeBron had more power and he had more sway. And when he and clutch said that they wanted Russ, that's how that, and, and then like, by the way, Polink was also on, on board from what I've been told. Um, so it wasn't like a unilateral thing in the way that it was, it would like to be presented, but because that backfired in the way that it did and the loudest proponents of it were the clutch kind of group and, and Anthony Davis and LeBron, um, pushing for that to happen and then when rob makes the trade and 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 trades away russ and immediately the lakers go on a run he wins out that turf war over the rest of the lakers organization and as a result it is now i think a smoother operation than it was even a couple years ago even i would say during the championship year so um and and by the way these things are very fluid as we see, as we've seen with the Dodgers, the Dodgers have been in link step for basically the entirety of the time that Friedman has running has been running things. But apparently, there's a bit of a hiccup there, there's a bit of a speed bump, and now they have to deal with it. So, yeah, I I would um I would say that like you know culture and and team wide understanding is 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 a huge thing to look for there as well as as you try to figure out like what teams and organizations are, are kind of capable of um and it's not a it's like i've been wrong i've been wrong plenty before it's not a perfect science what i say about certain teams um is it, is you know it obviously i am not all knowing i'm going to get stuff wrong but you can have instincts and you can have information and you can process it however you're going to process it and that's kind of why i do this um, all right. I think we are now all the way through all of the questions and I still have a voice. So I'm going to enjoy it for the weekend now as we get ready for it. Um, thank you everybody for tuning in here today. Thank you everybody for tuning in over the course of the week and over the course of this in-season tournament. I've had a blast uh, covering it with everybody here. Um, thank you to our guests over the course of the week. Make sure you go check out the shows that we have done. Last week we had a really fun conversation with uh oh great how my nose is bleeding fantastic <laughs> i'm falling apart but the uh yeah i had a fan a really fun conversation with dan wakey last week 
also really fun this week with uh, Jovan Buha of The Athletic. Um, Harrison was on this week. Obviously, Aaron is on every week. Raj was on last night after the game. So go out and check out all of those uh, shows or videos. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that review button. And until the next time I talk to you guys, I'm Anthony Irwin having, <laughs> saying have a great rest of your day. Make somebody else's. And I will talk to you on Monday.